You are listening to the 29 podcast with your hosts, Trevor Loudon and Nick Ashbourne. That's right. You heard it well. This is the 29 podcast. I'm your host, Trevor Loudon, alongside. Nick Ashbourne, and the reason why we're called the 29 Podcast, we're a Toronto-based podcast, and we talk about every other team in the Major League Baseball besides the Toronto Blue Jays. There's enough coverage of the Toronto Blue Jays here in Toronto, so we figure we'll talk about everybody else that doesn't get enough exposure in this city. Yeah, we can get a little insular here north of the border, so it's nice to spread things out. There's a lot of baseball that's worthy of your attention, and uh, we hope to bring it to you every yeah, week. Yeah, exactly. I find a lot of fans here know a lot about the Jays, and not so much the other teams. I mean, we'll talk about the AL East sometimes, not today, but uh, we'll talk about the AL East, and we'll actually start bleeping out the Blue Jays when we start talking about them after this episode. But uh, from this point forward, you probably will not hear blue jays said again on this podcast yeah we will be blue jays adjacent at times but we will never get directly into it even if they're the number one story in baseball we know you can find that elsewhere so yeah. that's not lots what we're of places do. you can find it lots of places including where both of us work <laughs> Um, all right, so this uh, this episode we're going to be talking about a few different things. We're going to be talking about uh, the one and only Bryce Harper right now, one of the biggest stories in baseball, and just having an absolute monstrous beginning to the MLB season. Just so you know, it is April 19th, 2016. We're about 10, 11, 12 games into the baseball season, and it's been a pretty crazy first couple weeks, hasn't it been, Nick? Yeah, I think that people are always excited to get baseball back, and sometimes they are quick to overreact to things that are happening. We always talk about small samples, so people can kind of fly off the handle a little bit, but I think some legitimately crazy things are happening right now, and Bryce Harper has to be number one on that list. Yeah, I think so, and I mean, the whole small sample size, then uh, we'd be out of work if we didn't really have a reason to talk about it. Yeah, the baseball covering media can't just relax until May. I'm sure a lot of people (laughs) would love to take a one-month, maybe even two-month vacation, come back and say, okay, what have we seen? Yeah. And evaluate it that (laughs) way. Now we're a third of the way through the season, now we can report on baseball yeah that would be great for a lot of people but that's (laughs) not the way it works so let's talk a little bit about Bryce Harper who without diving too hard into the Harper trout issue Mm -hmm. right now is the best player in baseball yes he's the way he's playing definitely not not without valuing him against trout and who's going to be better into the future right now there's no one playing better than Bryce Harper a hundred percent uh Quick, few quick numbers if you want to, Nick, or I have a bunch yeah, here uh, as well. One thing that is standing out to me about Bryce Harper right now is the way he's looking at the plate from a discipline point of view. He's walking 17% of the time, 173 to be precise. Um, that's not crazy. That's actually slightly down from last year. But what's nuts to me is that he's only striking out 7.7% of the time. So right now we're talking baseball about a time where strikeouts are an all-time high pitchers are pitching harder than ever with very with filthy off-speed stuff and I know in this city there's been a lot of talk about strikeouts <laughs> yeah. and Bryce Harper struck out three times a season and he's hit twice as many home runs as that yeah I mean uh he's striking out 7.7 percent of the time which uh of his plate appearances rather uh which last season overall again small sample size but he was at 20 percent overall last season uh, pitchers are starting to pitch, or they're kind of scared of him this year, uh, judging by where they're putting their pitches. Um, he's also demolishing everything that goes into the power zone. Like he's nine oh nine slugging over his at bats right now. From what I last saw, I think that's before this most recent 
series. Yeah, the thing is that strikeouts are normally part of a trade-off. When you are swinging for the fences, you're, you will miss. That's why guys like a D. Gordon don't strike out that much because yeah. they're not taking these huge monster cuts and trying to put it out of the ballpark. Bryce Harper is taking these cuts all the time. Mm-hmm. He's just not missing. That's what's crazy about it. Yeah, I mean, he's kind of uh, making this air about him right now very early on. Um, And if I say small sample size again, I'll kill myself, but it is small. But uh, he's doing exactly what really formidable hitters uh, have always done, like the Barry Bonses and the the David Ortiz, is that basically anywhere in the strike zone is hittable for him. And not only hittable, but he can put it into play. And one thing that's interesting for me is the way he's putting it into play is slightly different. So when we're looking at very few at-bats, it is foolish to emphasize the results too much. It's more interesting for me to look at the process. And one thing that Bryce Harper is doing right now is he's putting the ball in the air. So his, it, over his career, he has a 35.8% fly ball rate. Like He's a guy who hits line drives. We know he's a home run hitter, but he hits the ball over, all over the ballpark and he hits line drives. And this season, so far, he's put the ball in the air 60.5% of the time. And when he hits, puts the ball in the air, the ball leaves the ballpark. That's crazy. Um, like in considering last year, his um, batting average on balls in play was 369. And he's doing better than that already this year. And he's only been improving since 2014 with those injury-ridden seasons. But like the, the, the scary part about Bryce Harper right now is that he's getting better. And we're, we're in the process of a uh, unanimous-voted NL MVP getting better as time moves on. Yeah, it's kind of what happened in the NBA this year where people said, is Steph Curry the MVP and the most improved player? And that was a legitimate conversation. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing that just doesn't happen in sports overall. Exactly. And now maybe it's happening again, you know, a couple yeah. months later with Bryce Harper. Yeah, it's true. And uh, we're we're so early in the season to see these kind of, like, improvements in uh, how he's playing. And, you know, his confidence is obviously through the roof. Uh um, also with all these off-season shenanigans about making baseball yeah, make great. baseball fun, fun again, again. Yeah. yeah yeah he has he has made it a little easier f- to cheer for him at yeah. least for certain demographics I know there's some people that are never going to come around on Bryce yeah. Harper but I the, think he's the quintessential love or hate personality in baseball right now people really don't like <laughs> him but they really some people really love like what he's doing for baseball but I think baseball whether you agree with Harper's stance on baseball and how it should be played and whatnot baseball needs someone like this like they need a transcendent superstar that is bigger than the sport itself and it looks like harper's turning into that guy he's really trying to because i mean uh there's this whole like the new uh, ken rosenthal was talking recently about the new cba agreement wants to make baseball players more popular and his example was that mike trout could walk through times square and people might not know what he looks like and the thing is mike trout is very much like the um uh, does his does the, all the talking with his bat? Does all the talking out on the field? Uh, doesn't really, you know, do what Bry- he's not as brash as Bryce Harper is. Um, it sets a really. It uh, obviously we're going back into this argument of the Trout Harper argument, which I I think they are forever linked because they both joined the league at the same time, um, and Trout blasted off, and uh, Bryce Harper was a bit of a slow rise, but we're talking about a. You know, slow rise slow in a rise. very relative yeah. sense, yeah. only yeah. compared yeah. to Mike Trout. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, I think that Trout definitely hurts his case in a sense. Yeah. 
But I think it's purposeful. I think that he doesn't want to be the same kind of figure that Bryce Harper wants to be. Yeah. Uh, I think Mike Trout, and this is a comparison that comes up a lot, especially at that All-Star game a couple years ago, but Bryce, uh, sorry, Mike Trout wants to be the Derek Jeter, the guy who does everything right. And, I mean, unlike Derek Jeter, not really on the way to so many rings so far. But exactly. (laughs) That's who Bryce, uh, sorry, that's who Mike Trout wants to be. Yeah. Bryce Harper doesn't want to be that guy. No, not he at all. He wants to be someone totally different. Yeah, and I think that's really good for base, uh, baseball in general right now. They're kind of lacking that crazy superstar that they need. And uh, I think Washington's a good city for him to be in as well, uh, for now at least. Yeah, for now. For now. Um, I, th- I think it's a market that uh, could use a guy like that. Um, but I, I, I'm, like, I think the argument between Trout and Hop. Uh, Trout and Harper is always going to be something people talk about. Um, but what I want to talk about, you kind of alluded to this with the Trout talk we, we just had, is like what, what does Bryce Harper's uh, you know uh, in, increase in performance this year do for the Nationals as a whole for this season? Where do you have them? What do you see them doing overall this year, even though we've only seen 11, 12 games? Well, I actually probably would have picked the Nationals to win the NLEs coming this year, but I think that before we started playing, a lot of people considered that to be kind of a coin flip. The Mets have this incredible rotation. You can't take away what Noah Syndergaard is doing. And obviously, Matt Harvey is unbelievable. And they, we all know what the Mets rotation can yeah. do. And as a result, they were kind of the sexy favorite. But now the Nationals have come out. They're 9-3 and three right now. Yeah. And Harper's playing out of his mind. And there's a lot of guys on this team like Rendon, Worth, and Zimmerman. They those three guys have one home run between them right now. Yeah. Like they're gonna come around to some to some degree. (laughs) Yeah. Rendon is especially interesting as a Mm. guy where we don't know where he's gonna land because he was so good a couple years ago and last year was such a problem. Daniel Murphy's been incredible. Yeah. And Uh, uh, we were saying this before we recorded the podcast is I was one of the people that coined the Daniel Murphy deal to be a total overshot flavor of the month kind of thing after the playoffs last year, and he's outperformed uh, uh, those critics so far, at least this season. And I could see that it, it doesn't seem like he's, uh, you know, slowing down at all. But, but the thing about Murphy is they didn't sign him to a contract that asked him to be this huge slugger. No. I don't think anyone thought he was going to be that. And so far he's done it the way he's done it before. He's done it mainly with contact hitting, a little bit of gap power. Like he's a guy who's just getting on base a lot right now, mm-hmm. and that's it's incredibly valuable. He's getting on base half the time. That's not going to continue, obviously, but yeah. he's not. he hasn't changed who he is because of these expectations. He's the same guy. Right now he's a better version of that guy, but – I think over the long term, when you've got Harper, Murphy, Zimmerman, Rendon, Worth, if he's healthy, uh, you're starting to build a pretty solid offense. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in just looking at those three losses that they have, they're two to the Marlins, which Oof. is odd, and one to the Phillies, which is really strange as well. The Phillies was a 10-inning a knockdown dragout kind of game the other day that Papelbon blew for them, but... Um, that was a really fun game to watch, and we'll be talking a lot about the Phillies. Actually, the next team we'll be talking about is the Phillies, and that they might not be as bad as everybody says they are. Yeah. But uh, it, it's very interesting to see what this team is going to be able to do uh, during this season. Um, but moving on, we're gonna. So what? 
what we're going to introduce you to at this time is that uh, on the 29 podcast, we have a lot of different segments that we want to roll in, in and out of some episodes. Sometimes they'll show up, sometimes they won't. But we're going to introduce you to our first segment. Uh, one thing that we don't really have the luxury of having here in Toronto is uh, some really eclectic food selection at our ballpark. Our ballpark has gotten better over the last few years. The food has gotten much better, but... Uh, we don't. We don't get. We, they, there's something they do in the states that is just a little different from what we do up here above the 49. Yeah, I parallel. think that they they're more ambitious. I think that you could put this in a lot of ways. Maybe Canadians are just a little bit more of a cautious nation than the states. Yeah. But this really manifests itself in in ballpark food, among other things. Uh, uh, yeah. So I just want to mention that the name of this segment is uh it's called food envy really the only word for it is really the only word for it is yeah so that's uh this is food envy um so nick why don't you introduce the new the first ever uh item of food to be reviewed in food envy all right so we are going to pittsburgh right now so it's not where you'd think we're not going to the deep south we're not going to texas we will we will we will episodes. oh we'll definitely be going there <laughs> but today we're not going there not yet uh we're going to pnc park where they have a caramel jalapeno hot dog that they'd like to sell you so let, let's get a little bit into the particulars before before we overreact and yeah, jump off yeah, the deep geez, end. This is brutal. Okay, so we've got a hot dog, and uh, what they've done as the main condiment is drizzle in caramel sauce. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're already off to what can only be described as a questionable start. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then on top of that, they've thrown a little bit of macaroni and cheese. For yeah. Some re- that that part that they don't really get that yeah um and then on top of that of course the namesake you've got jalapenos and then to top it off cracker jack cracker jack yeah i actually have the the uh, some tweet it's it's called the pnc park cracker jack and mac dog so they didn't even mention the caramel or the jalapeno in the name of the the dog yeah, so I guess I was working with an unofficial name there. One thing that is also important to note about this, it's not served in a traditional hot dog bun based on the picture we're seeing here. It looks like more of a pita or a non Yeah, more like it does look like a non, like a one you'd get from a grocery store. And part of what makes that disturbing is you've already got a very bizarre selection of ingredients all packed yeah. in there. And then because you're working with this non, we'll call it, Yes. there's two offshoots of totally plain hot dog that are coming off each side that seem to be a total waste to me. Yeah, yeah, I know. It, it, it extends beyond the little non that they have. It There's nothing that says Americana like South Indian uh, bread, <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> okay, I get, I get the Cracker Jack. I, I'm not sure I agree with it, but I get it. Yeah. It's so intrinsic to baseball. Yeah, of course. I get the jalapenos. If it had been jalapenos, Cracker Jack, and mac and cheese, maybe I could have lived with it. Without the hot, like not on a hot dog or on the hot on dog? On the hot dog. Okay, maybe. with a regular bun, I'd assume as well. Yeah, with a regular bun. But what really throws me here is the caramel sauce. Yeah, I gross. cannot imagine putting caramel sauce on any kind of meat product. Like no. That's beyond what I can imagine consuming. I don't know how you got past the Cracker Jack part. Maybe is that just the 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 loveliness to baseball, the Yeah, it's a it's an ode to, you know, baseball nostalgia. I, I think guess. It, it's a little bit of crunch. 
the caramel, I would. But admit, that's caramel is coated, disturbing. right? Yeah, that's it's a little disturbing. But I've seen hot dogs with popcorn on it before. Yeah. This doesn't seem like too much of a stretch. Where do you dine? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Not <I'd> casually. <laughs> okay? yeah, yeah. I've researched this topic extensively. Okay, okay. For this podcast. Um, so here's a couple things. For me, one of the things that makes this so bad is that if you take any two ingredients and put them together, with the possible exception of mac and cheese and jalapeno, which might work, none of the other ones would work. Like, you couldn't do caramel sauce on mac and cheese. You could That'd do mac good. and cheese with hot dogs. I mean, that's like an old college... Oh, I'm talking about just the toppings. Oh, just the toppings. Okay, yeah, like yeah, yeah. You yeah. wouldn't do Cracker Jacks and mac and cheese. You wouldn't do jalapenos and caramel sauce. Like, none of the things would individually work with each other. Yeah. And so to assume they would just work all together... Is lunacy. Yeah, and I, I, I'm looking at it now, and I think that the whole purpose of the pita is just to be able to hold all the stuff together. Like, it just seems like if you had a regular bun, it, it would it would be mayhem. I think the, a regular bun might wilt under the caramel sauce, too. Yeah, again, that's, going that's, back to the oh. grossness of the caramel sauce. Well, um... How much would someone have to pay? I'm I'm assuming you would never buy this at the ball. Do we have a price on price point on I this? Don't no, have no a price we don't point have a price point. This, but... I'm so all of our Pittsburgh listeners, if you're tuning in, yeah, uh, please send us, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> please send yeah. us some information on this. Yeah. So I think based on what we said, it's safe to assume neither of us would want to purchase this. How much would someone have to give you to eat all of this? I. I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty easy person to impress. <laughs> I have eh, fifty bucks. I was thinking 40, 45. Yeah, I, I was think thinking we're in the same ballpark. Anywhere there. between 30 and 50 bucks. I mean, if I'd had like if I'd had like the American sized beers that they sell at these games, you give me like four or five of them, oh, the I might be a little more willing. Seriously coming down. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm pretty horrified. I'm sure we'll see better. I think we'll probably see worse too, but I think that's a pretty good start for Food Envy. Okay, well that was our that was our first uh, segment of Food Envy. You'll uh, see much more of Food Envy. I, I think that's already going to be an early favorite among the two of us. Um, so we're going to move on. Uh, also, if you have any ideas out there of things that we should be talking about on Food Envy, you know, please let us know via Twitter, whatever. Um, but uh, moving on to the next topic, we're going to be talking about, as we said before, we're going to be talking about the Philadelphia Phillies. Um, everybody still has them <laughs> to, to place pretty poorly this year, but um, they're they're not going to be in the basement for long, as much as people think they are. Uh I think of all the teams that we're going to be we're going to be talking about all the worst teams in baseball very soon as well. But of all the teams that we find are going to be in the basement this year, or uh, they they will be in, in there the shortest amount of time. They have the most sustainable uh, ecosystem for players right now. Yeah, I think one thing about the Phillies, a lot of people chalk them up to being possibly literally the worst team in baseball coming into the year, and I don't think that's a hundred percent out of the question even now. Um, but they're just a game below 500 right now. And the reason is, is they've got this pitching, which is way better than expected so far and really interesting going forward. Yeah, I mean, where to start is uh, the Velasquez game against the Padres. Uh, that's probably the biggest story that came out of the Phillies yeah. organization, at least so far this season. Uh, but it is something, to, a good starting off point for for our conversation. Um just to take a look back, but uh, just the whole young pitching core, like Aaron Nola, uh, Jared Eikhoff, Vincent Velasquez, uh, they're, uh, most of their prospects are actually poised to do very well in the league. Um, 
Well, that big three that you mentioned there has just been fantastic so yeah. far. And Velasquez is sort of a classic power arm, but the question with him as a prospect, a lot of people thought maybe this guy is going to be more of an elite bullpen arm. They weren't sure that he was going to be a starter. And again, we're always going to say it's early so far, and we don't know yet, but he's been unbelievable. Um, and it was against the Padres. It was against the Padres, <laughs> and the Padres have a terrible lineup. Yeah, yeah. But it was 16 strikeouts and no walks. That's yeah. an important thing to note. And through two starts so far, he hasn't given up a run. And his strikeouts per nine right now is 15. So that That's like insane. that 16 game wasn't even that anomalous from his other start. Yeah. And this is a guy who's looking a lot more refined than expected. He's just 23. He came over in the Ken Giles trade. Ken Giles has been awful for yeah. Houston Astros. And the Phillies don't need him. They don't need an elite setup guy slash closer for yeah. where they are right now. That's not of no use to them. And it seems like they've got a real winner in Velasquez. Yeah, and I mean, uh, just uh, to point, the the uh, that's not the only spot where they were getting all this talent. Like, they, they got Velasquez with four other prospects for Giles. Um, and Eikhoff was the fourth biggest name in the Hamels deal with, uh, like, Nick Williams, uh, Jake Thompson, uh, Jorge Alfaro. I don't know if that's yeah. how you probably say his name. but Yeah, Nick Williams <clears throat> and Jake Thompson are big-time prospects. Yeah. Like, those are two blue-chick guys. And Eikhoff, he's, he's a different kind of guy. He's a yeah. 15th-round pick. Like, he's 25. He's a little bit of a late bloomer. He's a grinder. He only throws 91. But this guy's got 70 innings at the big league level under his belt now. And so far, he struck out a guy an inning with a 244 ERA. Yeah. So that's a... I mean, that's an amazing debut. Yeah, exactly. Like, he doesn't necessarily have the stuff that a Velasquez has, but a guy who was ultimately a bit of a throw-in mm-hmm. now looks like a potential piece that you can really build, like someone who's going to be in that rotation for potentially a long time. Yeah, I mean, their revamped rotation is kind of – it It hasn't come out of nowhere because obviously they saw talent in these guys, but no one really saw this happening so fast. Yeah, Eikhoff's a guy a lot of people yeah. missed. And the next guy on the list in that kind of big three they've got going so far is Aaron Nola. Yeah. Now, he's a guy who people saw coming. This is a seventh overall pick. Um, he's an interesting guy because right now in baseball, we see so many hard throwers coming up. And this is a guy who really tops out 90-91, but he's such a command and control guy. Like I think he's mm. a guy that people are really going to enjoy watching pitch. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think, I think that this team has a lot uh, – to look forward to and let's just move into the future of this team because I mean I don't think that 2016 is really going to be the best year for them uh come the end of the season come September but uh between that like their new rotation their replenished minor league system with all these trades that they got all these people uh they're going to be well off uh in the next few years not to mention at the end of this year Ryan Howard's gone uh and uh I think you have the numbers written down yeah. there. And so, Matt Harrison after after the next season. Yeah, so next year the only numbers that are on the books are the buyout for Ryan Howard. Um, Matt Harrison for 13.2, so we, we know that's too much for him yeah. and we don't really know what he's even providing anymore. They've got a club option on Ruiz, the catcher, at 4.5, which is pretty reasonable, yeah. but if they find someone better – like, that's kind of you can take it or leave it. Mm-hmm. And then they've got a mutual ar- option on Charlie Morton for $9.5 million. And yeah. we know that mutual options almost never get picked up because normally the number is good for one side and not the other. Exactly. 
Um, so basically, they I mean, they have guys in arbitration and whatnot. When people say there's nothing on the books, yeah, yeah. there's going to be guys on the yeah, books. Yeah, people but, who overperform or underperform. But the reality is that they have so much flexibility going forward. And this mm. is a big market team. Like This yeah. is a team that used to spend a lot of money and could easily spend a lot of money again. They're not doing it now because they're not close enough to be doing it. Yeah. But in the next years, 2017, probably more so 2018, now you're talking about maybe they are spending money. Yeah, and the free agent class of 2018 is insane. Like you have, uh, um, you'll have Harper, Machado, Don not that all these will be available, of course, but Harper, Machado, Donaldson, McCutcheon, D. Gordon, Jose Fernandez, Dallas. Kite. Like you have a lot of people that if you're really starting to look like a good team and people want to play for the Phillies. Uh, the one thing that I ask you is uh, they just happen to be in a very good division. Uh, they'll have to be just as good, if not better. Well, they have to be better than the Nationals and the Mets. Can they do it? Can the, this this current Phillies uh, squad and adding a bunch of the pieces along the way, will they be able to compete with the Mets that are highly touted as the front runners for this division for the near future? Well, I think the Mets in particular have a little staying power because of that young pitching. The Nationals are a little bit more interesting because that's a bit of an older team. And they have a lot of like guys like Strasburg who could be out the door. Bryce Harper, like as you said, could be out the door relatively soon. So I think that the Nationals in two to three years might look pretty radically different than they yeah. do now. So I think you might be looking at a team that's slowly building up and maybe does overtake the Nationals. And one thing to keep in mind is that the Nationals have a lot of money to play with, but also a lot of salaries on the books. The Mets don't really have a lot of money to play with. So when the time comes, the Phillies may be able to spend and the Mets may not. Yeah, I know you wanted to talk uh, quickly about J.P. Crawford as well. Yeah, they've got a pretty strong minor league system. J.P. Crawford right now, baseball prospectus's fourth overall prospect in baseball. And it's important to note, too, that guys like Corey Seager and Byron Buxton are above him, and those guys are playing in the big leagues right now. So he's 21. This guy is a top-notch defensive shortstop, and he can also hit. I think he's the kind of guy that people imagine being a f potential, again, potential, yeah, potential a potential course. franchise player for this mm. squad. So maybe in two years, J.P. Crawford, he could be up at some point this year. But in two years, maybe he's a core player. We don't want to throw around comps that are too aggressive. But yeah. the way that Carlos Correa has become an Astros franchise player, that's a place that Crawford could get near. Maybe he, can't, he probably doesn't have the same offensive potential. But mm -hmm. he could be a foundational star for them within two years. Yeah, and uh, not to mention they're probably going to get a pretty high pick this year. Yeah, they should have got a <laughs> great pick this year. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll be actually talking about a lot of the bad teams in baseball coming up very soon. But first off, uh, we're about uh, two-thirds through this podcast, and so we have another segment coming for you. Um, this this one's called you know it's something you do in the middle of a game you kind of in the middle uh not the middle of a game after the seventh in the middle of the seventh inning we do a seventh inning stretch <laughs> we, we we're not gonna get physically up and we're not gonna do anything and we're not gonna we're just gonna make you stretch your mind and we're gonna we're gonna do this and what the seventh inning stretch is is that we're gonna make a bold claim without having to back it up or anything it's just a stretch it's <laughs> a it's a idea that um you know what 
it's a bold claim. We don't have to back up, and neither of us can say that's never going to happen, or we can't call each other out on it. But uh, if it does happen, we have bragging rights. Yeah, it's a it's a safe space, really, where yeah. you can really uh, speak your mind. I think that on this podcast, we are going to err on the side of being reasonable, yeah. being measured. <laughs> yeah. But in this particular segment, we're going to let it all hang out. Yeah, it's the seventh inning stretch. Sorry, I don't have any audio for this one, but that'll be coming in the next few episodes. So, Nick. What is your seventh inning stretch? All right. So before the season, I have been fairly critical of the Baltimore Orioles, and they've got off to a fantastic start. Right now they're sitting at 8-3. and three. Um, So a lot of people are reevaluating what they think about the Orioles, and my stretch is that I'm stubbornly sticking to my guns. I don't believe it at all. I don't believe they're a good team. I think they're going to sit well in the cellar of the AL East. When it's all said and done, I think this was a total fluke start. And as a result, I'm going to say the Baltimore Orioles end up, despite the fact they're 8-3 and three right now, with 71 wins 71 in the regular season. Wins. They've already got. They've already got. <laughs> this was the highest part of their season. They're well on their way. They've got over ten percent of those wins yeah. now logged, but I think they're going to hit some serious trouble. But it uh, doesn't mean they won't hit home runs. Oh, they will hit home runs. <laughs> that, uh, you can count on that. Yeah. Um, my seventh inning stretch, and this kind of is a very good segue into our last uh, discussion of this podcast today. I, my seventh inning stretch is that five teams in the MLB will finish with uh a hundred losses or more that's uh that's pretty incredible in this age of parody you do not see a lot of a hundred loss teams five of them i don't have the numbers in front of me because we don't evaluate with numbers during the seventh inning yeah. stretch yeah yeah but it would seem that that's a stretch yes so well done yes uh and moving on and i think it's a great segue because we're going to be talking about Six teams that could possibly lose 100 games this year. Maybe not all of them like I predicted, but one of these six is most definitely going to lose 100 games. Yeah, we are going to get the shovels out early and start yeah. burying we, teams. We, yeah, this is this is a very early burial uh, <laughs> ceremony for six of the teams in the MLB. So how about you uh, start us off? You want me to kick it off? All right, yeah, uh, I'm going to start it with uh, you know a team that everyone thought was going to be bad. And uh, it turns out they started off with an 0-9 start, and they were really bad. Um, you know, let's do the tomahawk chop for the Atlanta Braves. Uh, so after the start in the season getting swept by three different teams, the Braves finally got to do a bit of sweeping their own and swept Miami this past uh, for their, these last three games. And don't worry, we'll be talking <laughs> about the Marlins later, won't we, Nick? Um, but the, <laughs> the only other time two teams have started this poorly, uh, or like them and the Twins right now, uh, was in 1988, and the last time that the last team that did it was the Braves as well, and the Baltimore Orioles when they lost 21 games <laughs> to start the season. Start. That would have been bad. Uh, but the Braves like are shaping up to be one of the most depressing teams ever right now. I think uh, they're not just bad; they're very old. And I just took a look. Um, of uh, uh, five players, adds up to their age of 166 years old. I'll name those players right now. Today's lineup featured or yesterday's lineup rather featured uh aj Przinski, who's a ripe old age at 39 32 year old nick markakis who's not hitting well this year and he's like their guy right now um batting cleanup was uh kelly johnson oh, at the ripe he's old the age definition of retread of 34 uh only batted cleanup 30 times in his career um we have 32 year old eric ibar 
Um, and we got it. We got the young Gordon Beckham sitting at 29, <laughs> just about to turn 30 years old. So it's 166 years old and five players. Um, they're the oldest lineup in the National League is weighted by playing time. Um, but at least their pitching staff is the third youngest. That's maybe the one good spot you got for them. There is quite a bit of talent in the Atlanta Braves organization, but none of it's at the big leagues. No, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And none of it will be in the big leagues for this season and maybe the next one yeah, either. They are, they're stuck. Uh, where do month. you want to go with this one? All right, so I'm going to go a little bit more controversial, and I'll stick in the division because yeah. you already spoiled it. We're going to go with the Miami Marlins. Okay. My thing about the Miami Marlins is, for me, that's a team that had to get off to a good start because they're so star-dependent, and they're dependent on Fernandez and Stanton, both guys with serious injury troubles, both guys who, well, Fernandez may have an innings limit. We never really know what his situation is. So when they have those two guys, that's when they need to be good because there are going to be times when they don't have those guys. exactly. And when they don't, I think they're going to be pretty hopeless. And so their lineup right now, like you've got Stanton. He's incredible. Everyone knows it. Yelich is pretty good. Prado is good. But then a couple guys who you need to be good as well, like Ozuna right now, he's got – he's. I like to look at walk rates and strikeout rates early because they kind of normalize a little earlier than a lot of other stats. So Ozuna walking uh, 2.1% of the time, striking out 25.5% of the time solid. with one home run. So he was lost last year. It looks like he's still lost. Yeah, still not doing it right. D. Gordon, I didn't really buy his breakout last year so much. Right now he's sporting the old 1.8% walk rate. Classic. He's going to be hitting for uh, low a- – he's going to be hitting for high average but totally empty all year. Yeah. So I think they need to get off to a good start. They didn't do it, and uh, they are recently swept by the Braves. And yeah. I think that that's a thing that yeah. matters <laughs> yeah, if you yeah, get swept exactly. by the Braves. You're not good. They're four and seven. They're not good now. I don't really see how they get better. Yeah, if you get swept by the Braves this early on after they just lost nine games, nine games where they really weren't in any of them. Yeah. Um, People get enthralled by their stars, but uh, the depth of the team and most of the team is not good. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's too bad. It, it, the one thing they have is the two two wins against the Nationals, though. Oh, there you go. There you go. Um, but one one of them, albeit Jose Fernandez last night, just having a really, really gem of a game. Um, That'll happen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm going to move on. I'll take over. Uh, another team that started the season 0-9, um, as I alluded to. I kind of spoiled a few of these in the first one, but the Twins – um they're uh like last people really didn't expect the twins to do this bad i don't think they i think people expected them to do poorly but not as poorly as they look right now because yeah. they they really can't hit either and we're going to be talking about the padres <laughs> later they can't hit um so last year they had a pretty slow start they went one and seven um they had a huge may and uh held for first place uh in the division for a while um uh, but they have some premium young talent. So the difference between what I was talking about, the Braves, is like they're really old. This team is really young. They have some pretty good young talent coming up with uh, Miguel Sano, Byron Buxton. But if you look at uh, like Byron Buxton's numbers, for instance, he's uh, literally struck out half of his plate appearances Ooh. this year. Um, he's only had four hits so <laughs> far. Um, that's really not good. Uh, and moving on, uh, Korean rookie Byung-ho Park. He's batting 143 with 12 strikeouts and 24 plate appearances. Nice. Yeah, I mean, this is this is really bad. The main problem is pretty like uh, easy to diagnose is that their offense is just awful. 
And, you know, there's nothing on the pitching side yeah. right now. Like, Jose Barrios could be coming up later in the J-O year. J.O. Barrio? I like that name. Yeah, he's a yeah. great uh, he's a great talent, but is he going to save that rotation? Probably not. Yeah, as a collective, the team is hitting 219, 290 OBP, and they've struck out literally 30% of the time. So, speaking of teams that can't hit at all, <laughs> uh, we're gonna, I don't really want to talk about the Padres very long. Yeah. Um, they've got three guys who can even vaguely hit right now. That's Will Myers, Matt Kemp, and Melvin Upton Jr. One of them, actually both Myers and Kemp are pretty notoriously fragile. And Melvin Upton Jr., you have no idea what you're going to get from him. No one else on that team gives you hope from a hitting point of view. They're hitting 226, OVP 281, slugging a robust 329. <laughs> and right now they're pitching to a 4.58 ERA. So if you you know if you can't hit and you're pitching is well below average, yeah. you're going to be a bad team. They're 4 and 9. They mortgaged a lot of their future last year yeah. for a run that did not work out and now they're paying the price. Well, yeah, that's the other thing. I mean, we've been looking at all these other teams and we've kind of said, well, you know, at least they got something in the bank, you know, <laughs> for later. And with the Padres, they really don't have that at all. Oh, yeah. I, I don't really see a scenario where they're good in the anytime no. <laughs> soon. Um, I'm going to move on. Another team that's going to be doing really bad. I think they're five and eight so far this year. Uh, the Milwaukee Brewers. Um, again, I don't really want to talk about this anymore because <laughs> it's starting to make me a little depressed. But I'm just going to point out a few players. They uh, they have a stupid amount of money put into Ryan Braun. And by stupid, I mean all the money. It was a very uh, uh, early-weighted contract that he signed. So when he was the MVP, he only made $4 million. Um, but now they're really starting to pay Ryan Braun. He's making 20 mil this year. Um, I... After this year alone, and then ninety-six million dollars over the next five years, not including the fifteen million dollar option for a buyout or a mutual buyout in twenty twenty-one, um, which is going to be brutal. And uh, like other players, like Chris Carter, like is talk about a guy who's like one end of the spectrum or the other. Like he is the strikeout or home run guy. Like in twenty thirteen, he struck out two hundred and twelve times. That's the third <laughs> most strikeouts ever. Of all time, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and uh, he batted a little better as an Astro last year um, in terms of his strikeout ratio. But uh, another team that I just don't see too much. Uh, I don't. I don't see the light at the end of the tunnel for the Milwaukee Brewers. And we're gonna round this out, I think, with a team that's a little bit more controversial because I think they. First of all, the record is not that bad right now. I'm talking about the Arizona Diamondbacks sitting at six and eight. Um, I think they were wildly overrated coming into the year. A lot of people, similar to the Marlins, people were enticed by the names that they recognized without realizing that the foundation wasn't in place for success. And then they lose A.J. Pollock early on, yeah. who I think might have been the most underrated player in baseball coming in. Like This is a guy between 2014 and 2015 ranked 15th among position players in wins above replacement mm. in only 232 games. So he didn't even play a full 2014, and he's still right up there with the yeah. stars of the sport. He's a guy who does everything well, and he's out for at least three months. Yeah, uh, that, that's that got a sting. And the reality is, like, who are you replacing him with? They've got Chris Owings, who's a the converted shortstop, who's not doing anything. They've got Brandon Drury, Socrates Brado, which is a great yeah, name. Yeah, that's a great name. Um, 
Yasmani Tomas is getting more time in the outfield as a result, but right now their outfield has got a crisp 290 on base percentage oh, and minus 0.2 wins above replacement. So he just, there's just a huge void there in the outfield, and I think a lot of the success they've had so far has been a bit lucky. They've had guys like Gene Segura and Nick Ahmed have three home runs each so so far somehow. Yeah. Like those That's guys can't hit. Yeah. Um, and Shelby Miller and Zach Granke so far have six starts between them. Uh, 0 3, 7.50 ERA, and uh, 6.09 FIP to show that it's not just totally fluke. Yeah. Um, obviously, they're both guys who are capable, but mm. you're a little bit concerned. I'm more concerned about Shelby Miller. I thought that he was a player that they severely overpaid for. Yeah. And he's a guy who always kind of beat his fancy stats, if you will, mm-hmm. and traditionally did well. But I think it's kind of catching up to him this year. I think there's a little bit of smoke and mirrors with him, and people are going to start hitting Shelby Miller. Yeah, and that's definitely an unpopular opinion uh, that you think the Diamondbacks are going to do so poorly. Uh, any instances in see which you see them outperforming your standards and actually doing what everybody thought they would? I mean, for one, it would take Zach Greinke being the guy he was last year mm-hmm. or very close to that. We haven't seen that yet. It's way too early to rule out Zach Greinke coming around in a serious way. So that would be big for them. Yeah, he's Zach Greinke. Um, one of the outfielders has got to step up. David Peralta has been pretty good so far. But one of the other outfielders is going to have to step up and fill that Pollock gap. And Paul Goldschmidt would just have, will have to be incredible, which yeah, he which is. he always is. But last year he was so incredible that it's going to be hard for him to replicate that. Mm. Um, I think they're a team that overperformed last year, and as a result, they kind of bought into the fact that they might be good, and then yeah. they jumped in at the wrong time. That's what I see with the Diamondbacks. Yeah. Well, uh, on that note, uh, it looks like we're really ending this. Uh, First episode with a bunch of happy talk about yeah, baseball. Yeah, it's a serious downer where we've basically declared that we believe 20% of the league should give up. Yeah, so, now, so now actually just uh, thinking about that, we said that we'd never say the Blue Jays, and after this episode we never will. But Blue Jays fans, there's 20% of the league you're going to be better than this yeah, year. Yeah, already, 20%. Yeah. You can pretty much lock it up. Uh, very few of them are, you know, five of them are in the National League, so yeah, 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 that's a bit yeah. of a problem. Exactly. It kind of ruins my uh, bold, my seventh inning stretch, but uh, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Five teams without 100 <laughs> wins. Uh, but thank you for listening. This uh, was the first episode of the 29 podcast. Um, keep tuning in. We're going to try and do this every Tuesday. Post them around Tuesday or Wednesday each week. Try not to be too time sensitive as uh, we want you to binge watch all these all at once. Uh, like a good season like of Breaking Bad. a good millennial. Bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a good millennial Gen Y kid. Uh, but anyways, I'm Trevor Loudon. You can follow me on Twitter at Trev Loudon alongside Nick Ashbourne, who's... Also on Twitter, on Twitter, as most people are at our age and stage, yeah. uh, at Nick Ashbourne. At Nick Ashbourne, that's N-I-C-K-A-S-H-B-O-U-R-N-E. I'm T-R-E-V-L-O-W-D-E-N. And uh, this was the first episode of the 29 Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and we will give you another episode, a good taste of it, next week.